All right, if you're in the youth group, the youth group has taken off. Uh, have a great time. Uh, they're headed upstairs to go to their uh, time together. Um, we want to celebrate. We're uh, bringing three new adults into the congregation today. So there are now full-fledged adults with full rights and privileges of uh, Jericho Road Church, uh, same as all the other adults. Uh, they are youngsters, but uh, so we're in, um, inviting Andrew Thompson, Cameron Joe, and Samuel Kim are now part of our adult congregation. So I don't even see any of them. I think they're uh, serving. Uh, so a lot of our, uh, they're serving, like orientation for our children's department, for our nursery department is today. And so uh, a whole bunch of all, everyone who volunteered in those departments are up there right now. And so in case you were wondering, like, what, what happened to some of our friends this morning? If you did not get, uh, today is our first day of our new year of volunteering. That isn't to say that you can, you can sign up to volunteer anytime that you want. So just because it starts today, you could start next week or the week after as soon as God calls you. If you weren't here last week and you didn't get your volunteer, we gave a, got a little package here. It says, thank you for blessing Jericho Road Church. We love you and some like mints. Uh, it does have the date, 2017 to 2018 volunteer. So uh, you need to pick this up because we can't reuse them next year. And so uh, if you guys uh, hadn't get, gotten this, then pick those up. Those are right at the welcome desk as you come in. Uh, back to our First John series here, we've been talking about, uh, uh, in case you didn't get it from that video, fellowship in God. That's what the whole uh, point of the book is about, finding right fellowship, finding truth in fellowship, finding fellowship because we're in the light, finding fellowship because we're following God's righteousness and this sort of thing. Uh, and so, so we're going to continue with that today. Uh, actually, um, my nephew called me, uh, my nephew, his name is Trevor, uh, the, one of my nephews in college, he called me... Uh, maybe about a week and a half ago or so, uh, after going to an on-campus on Bible study that he'd went to. And he called me and he was asking, he was trying to figure out like if what the things they were saying in that Bible study were legit or not. And I was like really impressed that he like cared one about like figuring out if what they were saying was legit and uh, that, that he would actually reach out and think about it and talk about it. And so he was calling and he was asking because they were saying some things like if your church doesn't worship on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, it's not a good church and that kind of stuff. And so they were saying these sort of stuff that, that he wasn't, didn't think was right, but, but he wasn't sure. Well, he thought he knew the answer, but he wasn't sure, and so he, he called and asked. And, and I think that's a really important question, like in life. How do we know when something's legit, especially if it's like spiritual somethings? As Christians, like we're concerned about that. Um, so how, how do we really know um, if someone's talking about or if they have an spiritual experience or maybe you've had a spiritual experience and you're like, well, was that from God or was, was that just my own mind or was that me just tripping because, you know, I was, you know, smoking weed or whatever you're doing. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but if whatever you were tripping on, like, how do we know if that experience is from God or not? And so today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about a strategy, strategy to ha- how to decide whether something uh, is a genuine spiritual experience, whether it's God's voice speaking to us or not. Um, and so uh, uh, we're going to, the, the Bible itself tells us that we, we need to be critical thinkers. Like, I don't know if oftentimes Christians have the label as like, they're the best thinkers in the world. I think that sometimes the world thinks that Christians are just dumb or blind, or they just like don't even listen or think, and they just jump into something. And so I think that that's very dangerous, though. And the Bible tells us not to do that. The Bible tells us to be critical thinkers. It tells us to, to, to test various teachings. In fact, to test all the things that are spiritual around you or, or have the spiritual sense so that you could know whether it's true or not. We're picking up uh, in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, today's readings are from the ESV today. 
Uh, so if you're following along on your uh, online Bible or on your phones, that's okay. Uh, so, and if you're texting, that's probably not okay, but, but you can always pretend as if you're on the Bible, right? <laughs> so good times with our phones. Um, but the verses will also be up here on the screen. We're going to look at, we're starting in, uh, uh, we're picking up with 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. He writes to his friends, uh, his beloved ones, his little children. He says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because there's many false prophets, they've gone out into the world. And so John is warning uh, believers uh, to test all these kind of spirits. We're never to assume that it's just because it's a spiritual experience or a demonstration of spirituality that that thing is true necessarily, or any claim of spiritual teaching that all those things are from God, because all sorts of people can claim all sorts of things. And so so uh, the author, John, here is saying, like, look, you've got to test the things that you're here, all the spiritual things that comes around, whether it's in word or action or vision or dream or someone's teaching, you've got to test those to see if they're true or not. It's critical that we test these experiences to see if they're, in fact, from God. Because the enemy, uh, the Bible tells us that the devil can, uses one of the tricks called masquerading as an angel of light. So he is so smart that, that sometimes, you know, the best lies are 90% truth, right? And so that's what the devil's really good at, making something that's untrue maybe seem true because it has the elements of truth. And so we, we're asked by the Bible to be uh, critical in, in our thinking, Many people, when they first encounter spiritual realities, they don't have a lot of experience that like, everything seems like, well, that's probably true. Or if they, they go into like, and have this spiritual, emotional experience, it must be true because it's spiritual. And they're too impressed or amazed to ask whether that's in fact from God. And I think that that can lead to easy deception. Or maybe people uh, come into uh, a place uh, and they hear teachers at church and they believe it because the teachers are really loving and they're really kind. And they're great people. And so, so then they just believe whatever they say. And but the Bible would say, be careful of that as well. Those persons also need to be tested so that they're spiritually reliable. Testing of the spirits is one of the main responsibilities we find in congregational leadership. When we look at, when we look at the New Testament, when it's talking about pastors and elders and people that are leading the church, one of the things that they must be able to do is be able to discern between what's true and what's false to be discerned what's from God and what's not. But it doesn't stop with just the congregational leaders. The Bible, in fact, says all of us who are believers uh, need to use our minds and our souls to test the spirits in order to maintain a healthy church that's on the right path. So Paul confirms this idea. So not only does Apostle John write it, Apostle Paul writes to the church at, the, at Thessalonia, and he says, don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies. Prophecies are words that come from God. But, but you've got to test all of them and just hold fast to the ones that are true and reject the ones that are false. So he says, so Paul and John are both confirming the same idea, that we're to use our brains, our wisdom, and our Bibles to discern what's from God and what's not. It's never just be re- received because it's like dramatic or because it comes from a certain person. We always want to have our brains turned on. So it doesn't matter whether it's it's uh, done in a charismatic style or not. It doesn't matter whether it's done in a boring style or not. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that old guy on TV. He's on it late night, and he has a pipe and a chalkboard, and he writes like Hebrew words on there, and he seems like really old and smart and stuff. Just because he seems old and smart doesn't mean that he is, or just because he has a chalkboard doesn't mean that he's, and writing some Hebrew letters doesn't mean that what he is teaching is true necessarily. 
or if you've ever been to a meeting and there's some, you know, crazy person or lady screaming out, ah, screaming out this kind of stuff. Just because they're charismatic or just because they're boring doesn't make them true. They both, both may be true or they both may be wrong. It's based on the content of the things that they're talking about. And so the Bible tells us that to, don't just be determining it based on style. It doesn't matter. So if you're at a charismatic church and they're prophesying or somewhere or they're saying this is the word of God, just because they're a charismatic church doesn't mean it's right or wrong. The style of it is irrelevant to the right or wrongness of it. Or just because they're at a Lutheran church and maybe they have a robe and they're, you know, the Catholics can be right and wrong all the time, even if they're non-charismatic about, about the way they go about it. And so be careful that we're not caught up in that kind of thing. And so today I, I just want to give a, you know, four principles of like how to kind of filter these things. Like how, how do we really know what's true or not? And, and how can I, as a, a thinking member of the body of Christ, how can I determine whether things are true or not? So uh, f- four principles to help guide us in that critical thinking process. Now, these are the same four, four steps that you would, you would want to go through if you've had a personal spiritual experience, that you're like, well, I, I'm trying to uh, pray about whether God wants me to quit my job and move to Kenya to be a missionary. And so there's the same sort of idea as I'm praying and trying to hear God's voice, right? So I want to hear God's word to me. And so these same four principles will work even as you're trying to determine like, God, did you really want me to quit my job? Because I want to quit my job, but like, do you want me to quit my job? <laughs> like, God. And so these four principles will work for that, to test to make sure that it is, in fact, God's voice speaking to us. Okay, so the first one is, and this is like, the first is real heavy, so it's like one, and then two, three, four, right? So the one is really big. The first thing is, it has to not contradict Scripture. So God, God is in, uh, God never will contradict himself. And so if you think God is saying something for you to do something now and it contradicts Scripture, then he's not telling you to do it. So that's the first way that we can test it. The first way we can test the Spirit is, is by the Word of God. God has already given us instructions. Now, he hasn't given us instructions on everything because the Internet wasn't in existence there. So we have to look at principles that we find in the Bible. But the Bible is always our first go-to place. So we ask the question, does it contradict Scripture or are there any examples of what I'm kind of talking about in the Scriptures? to verify if this, this teaching or this thought is true. Are there any examples of it, or is there any contradictions in the Scripture? So the Bible is, in fact, our first source of truth. So all prophecy or all teaching or all spiritual stuff, it has to first be judged through the filter of Christ, uh, Christ's word here. So if we were pouring it, this is like the, the filter, the coffee goes, the grinds go in there, and then the water goes through. This is the big and the main one. It all filters first through the word of God. God will never contradict himself, and we know he has said certain things already in the Bible. The, the second principle is, uh, does the teaching or whatever uh, we're listening to, the teaching or the prophecy, does it edify people? Does it build up a believer to be stronger in Christ? Now, just because I say the word edify doesn't mean that it's fluffy. So it doesn't always have to be nice. So you may have to tell someone, hey, the word of God to you is you need to stop this sin. Like That doesn't sound nice. It doesn't receive nice. It kind of hurts to hear. But does the, does the word that's coming from God, does it edify or build up believers to follow God better? Not to be nicer people, not to make them happier necessarily, but to follow God better. So is the word contradict scripture at all? Does it edify believers? And then, uh, so those are our first two principles. And the third one is when you're unsure, you need to have a couple of spiritual friends that you trust to also ask. So uh, a good... Uh, 
a good idea is to have Christians who are wise and mature that you can come and say, like, hey, what about this? Just like Trevor did for me. He said, well, I'm not sure. I think it's this way. I was reading the scripture. I can't see this or this. What do you think, uncle slash Pastor Sam? You know? And so that, that, that he, was, he was following exactly what, what does the Bible say? Does it edify believers? What is a, a Christian who's wiser than I think? And the last one is, um, if the thing is from a person, the moral character of the person matters. So if it's some really shady person trying to tell you God's word, that matters. Like, you know, it, it matters the character of the human being that's sharing it. Now, God can use fallen human beings, but he tends to almost always use people who are following him to, to li- deliver his word. He, he doesn't often. In fact, Jesus rebukes demons when they, even when they tell the truth. So demons are shouting out, this is the son of God, that's him. Eh. And he's like, shut up. They're not, even, they're not allowed to say truth about him, even if it's true. Because the, the, the character or the moral uh, core of the, the person or the being in that sense that's saying it matters. Okay, so, so let me share with you a, a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Paul. Uh, his father was murdered. Um, a store owner and someone broke in and, and uh, murdered him. And uh, Paul was a, sort of a medium believer at the time. Like He'd come to church a lot. He knew about Jesus. He had accepted Jesus. And um, when his father was murdered, uh, Paul was pretty upset about it. And he was having a really hard time with it. And then one day, uh, he came to me, and uh, his face was changed. He was like, like bright again. And Paul, Paul had a tough life from gangs and drugs and stuff. And, uh, but but he had, something was different about him. And he showed up and, and he said, Hey, Bersam, like I had a dream. And in my dream, my father came to me. And uh, he told me that everything was going to be all right. And he told me that he was okay and he was in heaven. And he told me to, to do better, to do well. And he said, Do you think that that, that was actually my dad? Do you think that dream is true? So, I go through my mind. Has God ever showed up to anyone in a dream before in the Bible? Yeah, (laughs) like a lot. (laughs) Have there ever been people who had died? Is there any recording in the Bible of someone who had died who actually then revisited the planet? Yes, there are. Example of of Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so as I'm filtering it, I'm kind of thinking, are there any things that would say that this dream is not true? Is it go against any scriptures? Does God normally allow uh, our dead ancestors to come talk to us? Not normally. I don't have a ton of examples of it, but I don't have anything that contradicts scriptures. And I know that God does speak to dreams, and I know that he uses human forms to speak through dreams. We see that clearly in the scriptures in multiple times. And so I think that, yeah, that's probably okay. Does it build this believer up? The second thing, absolutely. Paul was totally moved by it. And he's asking whether I think that it, it's really from God. And, and the last one was, like, if it's from a person, but it wasn't. And so uh, I told Paul, yeah. I mean, Paul thought it was true. I, I don't see any reason why it's not true. And so I said, Paul, I, I think that's absolutely a word from God to you. Now, whether I think it's his actual father speaking to him in the dream or whether God was using the image of his father, I'm not sure. Um, But that's probably a technicality that Paul didn't really need to hear. (laughs) I mean, if now we talked, because he's been following God for 10, 15 years now. 
then we could talk about that technicality. But I said, yeah, probably that's true. I had another friend of mine, uh, Jessica, she goes to this prayer meeting, and, and it was a, one of the prophecy prayer meetings, a charismatic kind of style, and someone comes up to her, and they were just shouting words over people, and they come up to her, and, and my, my dear friend, she struggles with her weight a little bit, and so she was sitting there, and someone comes up, this is her first time at this meeting, and someone comes up, and they're like, bacon! They just scream bacon over her as prophecy. And then she's like, what? <laughs> exactly, whoever said what in the audience, she was like, what? <laughs> She's a sort of a no-nonsense person, so she was a little bit offended, right? right? She's like, bacon. And then, and then the person doesn't really offer any scripture to support the bacon prophecy or any explanation why bacon would somehow be a prophecy over her. And so she walks out of this meeting like, what the heck? Like, what is that? So uh, she calls me up and says, this kind of thing happened. And like, is bacon a word from God for me? Like, what does that mean that I... So, uh, filter through the Bible. Like, does there, is there anything in the Bible where people are shouting out random pork products at others? Like, no, I don't really have a lot. Of, I don't have anything where someone just randomly sh- shouts words over someone. Uh, did it edify or build her up? No, it didn't. Did it make her follow God better? It absolutely didn't. I told her maybe you shouldn't go back to that meeting. She didn't. Um, uh, like a... She came to a trusted friend to ask, and then uh, is the person of high moral quality who was uh, offering the prophecy? And skeptic as I am, I'd say dubious at best, right? So when I said, she says, is that a word from God for me? I say, probably not, you know? And so I told her, I don't think that that's anything you should worry about. I don't, I don't see any sort of way that it kind of comes from God, and it doesn't really build you up, so I'd let it go, and, and I'm sorry that they, they said those things over you. I'll tell you God's word for you, that he loves you. And so we've got to be careful as we filter through these kind of things. And so that, that's how I do it as I, as I walk through it, and I hope that those principles help you. John, John continues as in, in the letter to tell them this as they're filtering this kind of false prophecy stuff. He says to this church here, he says, By this uh, you're going to know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that spirit's from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. And so one of the popular teachings at this time, so this is back in John's time. It's it's not so much so the the same now. I'll tell you in a second. But one of the popular teachings at that time uh, is that Jesus, uh, he absolutely was God, but because he was God, he couldn't actually have been a human being. Because, uh, so for the Greek mind, they thought the spirit and the soul was pure, and they thought the physical was uh, dirty or flawed or, or, or not very good. And they say God would not be in human form because uh, human form is not good. It's not perfect and pure. And so uh, this kind of uh, idea that Jesus was, in fact, God, but he wasn't a man and only appeared as a man became one of the teachings that became a problem in the church. So in John's day, the closest time to the actual life of Jesus, people are like, dude, I I met Jesus. That guy's God for sure. I don't think he's a man, but he was God. He was walking on water. He was like multiplying fish and bread. He was like pulling coins out of fish's mouth. Like he was doing crazy things. He turned water into wine, and that was like a great party. He's definitely God, but I don't know about the man part. It was harder for them to deal with that. So John gave them this test in particular to help them determine whether that teacher was from God or not. And the test was that they had to confess that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. 
So he gave them that very specific test to deal with these error-filled false teachers. Now, this is not the only test of false doctrine that we have, but it's an example of uh, John saying, you do need to test it, and here's a particular type for this particular problem. They have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is, and that's a big problem, and it dealt with their significant issues. Today, I would say we almost have the opposite problem. I think it's pretty easy for people to confess that Jesus was an actual human being. Like, historically, the records are just overwhelming. Like, any person who's bothered to think about it or do any research no longer says that Jesus wasn't really a human being that walked on the earth. Almost everybody knows. uh, Both Christians confess it, non-Christians confess it, Jews who don't like Jesus confess it. Everybody understands historically that Jesus was was a teacher in Nazareth in the first century A.D., that that's a historically pretty reliable source. And so most people don't deny that Jesus came in the flesh. What's our problem now? Our problem now is saying that Jesus is God. They'll say, oh, well, he was a good teacher. Um, He was a prophet, so says the Muslims. He was uh, little g God, so says the Jehovah Witness or the Mormons. He was God, but only as God's like son that God created. And so they have a problem with Jesus being God nowadays. And so uh, both of these things sort of have a, have a wrong Jesus. And so as we test the spirit, if someone is saying like, yeah, Jesus is not God or Jesus is not a man, they have a misunderstanding of the right Jesus. So true prophecy and true teaching always yield us a true Jesus. Now, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, he's saying, to deny like who the true Jesus is. That, that's the basis of what Antichrist, Christ is. It's sort of in the name, right? Against Christ, Antichrist. And so uh, um, Antichrist opposes the true Jesus and will always offer a substitute really close Jesus, though. Right? The devil doesn't care if you believe in Jesus if, like, if this is Jesus, right? If this little like microphone pole thing. If, if you think that this is Jesus, the devil doesn't care if you say out the name Jesus, oh, I believe you in Jesus, if you have the wrong Jesus. So the devil is really good about that. Right? So the, the Muslims have a, a God they believe in, and they think Jesus is a prophet. They just have the wrong Jesus. He's not God. He didn't die for their sins. And so the devil is really good at this. He doesn't care if you know Jesus, love Jesus, or pray to Jesus, as long as you have the false wrong Jesus. Right? He wants to keep you away from the true right Jesus. So John indicates that the spirit of Antichrist is present now in their time. Just in John's day, the Antichrist was there. So as Pastor Jimmy had told us a few weeks ago, John has in mind not the Antichrist as in the end times one, but rather the spirit of the Antichrist, the the teachings and the the ideas that are against Jesus. He said, John continues, little children, you're from God and you've overcome those kind of guys. For he who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. So John commends his readers for being able to spot false teachers and to overcome it. He then again appeals to the idea that the Holy Spirit resides within each believer. He says the one that's in you is greater than those. And this is this this really interesting spiritual concept that our human shells, like as a human being, there's space for more than one spirit inside. Like, you have you, right? Like, so if I ask you a question, you could respond internally in your mind. Like, oh, what's your name? You say, my name is, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, like, so that, that's the you. You're, you're inside your own shell, right? And the Bible here is saying that the Holy Spirit can also be inside your shell with you. 
There's space for two spirits, yours and the Holy Spirit's. So if you've heard the song, Jesus, take the wheel, right? So what they're saying is internally, I have space for both me and Jesus to be in there. And sometimes I'm driving and metaphorically, I want him to take the wheel because we're both inside the shell of my human beingness. And so our shell has room for one, more than one spirit. The Holy Spirit can reside within us. Now, a non-believer also has room for one, more than one spirit inside of them. And sometimes a spirit comes into a non-believer. We call it a demonic possession. A demon is a spirit being. And a spirit being can come inside of a non-believer as well. In fact, there's space that the Bible indicates for more than one. There can be multiple demons in a single person. And so, so demon possession or demons coming alongside internally and taking the wheel, like much worse ride probably, but that's possible for non-believers because there's space inside of us for more than one spirit, which is kind of a really interesting concept. Now, I do want to say, believers, you never need to worry. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, no demonic spirit can enter into you and possess you and overtake you. And the reason is the Holy Spirit's already there. Like, he, he's in the... He's in the driver's seat. You're in the passenger seat. A demon does not have the power to kick out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is absolutely, infinitely more power than any, other, any created demon spirit at all. So they cannot kick out or dispossess the Holy Spirit in any way. So believers cannot be possessed by a demon. Now, can a believer be harassed by a demon? Can there be another car that slams into you as if we're taking our Jesus take the wheel analogy? Sure. So a demon can harass, but they can't possess so because of the indwelling spirit of the God, uh, the child of God doesn't need to fear these spiritual realms. They don't need to sp- fear the Antichrist, uh, even though we should be warned about it. Because the one who's in us is more powerful than, than any demonic force. And so this is a really important verse to keep in mind. More than any Antichrist teaching, more than any Antichrist persons, more than Antichrist ideas, the spirit who dwells within us is stronger than all of those. We absolutely have power and victory over evil forces that are in this world, not because of our own strength, but because of the Spirit who dwells within us. Uh, so uh, that, this goes for like any false teaching, any demonic experience, any temptation for evil. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So we can always have victory over all of those experiences. They bow to Jesus. He does not bow to them. They bow to the Spirit. He does not bow to them. John continues, we just have a couple more verses. They're from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So John, John's drawing this clear contrast between people who are in the Spirit and those who are in the world. Those who are in the world, they're evident because they speak with ideas that are like the world's. And people who are speaking from the Spirit, sometimes it doesn't make sense to the world because they're speaking spiritual realities that won't make sense to them. And, and this is a... Uh, Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So people speak from the thing that they know. And so if you're speaking from a worldly perspective, then, then you're worldly. If you're speaking from a, a spiritual sp- perspective, then you're spiritual. The teachings uh, of false teachers are successful in the world because their thinking, their theology, they accommodate the world's beliefs. Like philosophically, they they align with the world, so it's naturally easier to follow. When I'm trying to think about this idea, I was thinking about like modern-day spiritualism in America. Like I don't know, I've never met anyone who said like, maybe one or two people who said, 
in, in my whole life who said, I absolutely don't think there's any creator of the universe. I don't think there's a God. And most people in America confess a, a belief in God, and I would say they probably have a spiritualism, right? They, 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 they think there's a higher power or energies or spiritual kind of stuff going on. And they, they claim to be spiritual but not Christian in particular. And most people, when uh, researchers ask them, uh, do you think that you're going to go to heaven or not? Almost all people confess that they're going to go to heaven. And then when they say why, almost always the answer is because I'm a good person. So the spiritualism of our day has said, like, you're going to go to heaven, there, there's a heaven and there's a hell, and you can go there if you're a good person. And so, uh, at least in compared to, like, evil persons that they know in their mind, right? So it's always a comparison game. I'm not good, but only good compared to them. But this is uh, uh, antithetical to the teachings of Jesus Christ and to the philosophies. That, that's the philosophy of the world. See, that's why the, the gospel is so different, why people, it strikes people so differently, and it's unrecognizable for people who don't know Jesus, because the Bible says you are not a good person, and you can't go to heaven, period. The only way you go there is you're drowning, you throw up your arms, and you say, save me, and someone else has to save you, and that someone is Jesus Christ. But that's antithetical to the teachings of our of our American rugged individualism, our sort of vague spirituality. But the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way, and you can't do anything to, to earn it. You can only ask for it. You throw up your arms and ask him to save you, and he does. The final verse we're looking at today, he says, we are from God. Whoever knows God, they're going to listen to us. Whoever's not from God doesn't listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the final section of our passage gets to the idea that right teaching is passed down from the apostles. So when John uses us here, he's talking about, he's referring to those people who are apostles, people who listen to the us. Uh, now, apostles were people who walked literally with Jesus. So people were on the planet when Jesus was alive. They walked with him from his uh, baptism all the way till his death, to his resurrection. Those people would have the ability to be called apostles. So there were 12 at first, one kills himself, right? And then they elect a new one. And then they're going along. And then this guy, Paul, becomes an apostle, actually. Now, Paul didn't walk with Jesus the first time Jesus was on earth. But, but the book of Galatians confesses that Paul walks with the risen Jesus. So he hangs out with Jesus for three years, like it seems physically walking with Jesus when he's in the area of Arabia. And so these persons are called apostles. And so since... Uh, the apostles then write down their ideas as they're ending or getting towards the end of their lives, and we call this the New Testament of our Bible. The New Testament is the recordings of the apostles in regard to what Jesus had taught them because they would know because they walked with Jesus. And so since these men are no longer around to ask our particular questions, so I can't say, hey, Apostle John, what did Jesus teach about the Internet? I have to look at what Apostle John has written and then try to, with the best mind that I can, discern and determine whether there's any principles that would help guide my internet use. So should I, listen to, should I watch pornography on the internet? Well, is there anything that talks about sexual impurity? There might be some stuff. So it probably answers that. That's probably one question that would be pretty easy if you filtered it through the, the lens of Scripture, whether you should be doing that activity or not. Okay, so in, in, in the history of the church, they've always thought 
that the teaching of the apostles has been the means by which we discover what the spirit of truth is and the spirit of falsehood is. So this is our primary number one filter for all things true. And then we have secondary filters. Does it edify the believers? What does another wise person say? And the moral character of the giver of that. And John finally makes it clear that there's a spiritual element to this dynamic. It's not just like, is the person really smart or not? It's not about being educated or not. Because there's some very educated, very smart people that are still mightily influenced by the spirit of error. So keeping the spirit of truth is as much a spiritual issue as it is a mental one. And so that's why I say when we test the spirits, we use our minds, we use our Bibles, but we also use our spirits and that connection we have to the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us there's an aspect to that. And you say, well, how does that work? Well, that's the spiritual realm, so just figure it out you know, on your own. Like Go talk to Jesus and pray and, and listen and start to develop that spiritual connection to God. We, we keep in the spirit of truth by clinging to Jesus. Jesus claims to be, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so the nearer we get to Jesus, the more we know about him, the more we talk to him and walk with him, the more we are able to discern what's true and false as we filter it through scripture. So this whole message, it does reinforce the idea that I probably should then be reading my Bible, right? It's not because it's a command, reading your Bible is not going to get you to heaven. Reading your Bible is not going to get you brownie points so like God likes you more. But reading your Bible is really important to try to figure out what's true and what's false, what I should live my life by and what I shouldn't, how I should conduct my career and how I shouldn't, how I should conduct my family and how I shouldn't, how I should interact with my friends, or, or uh, now that marijuana is legal, should I smoke some of that because it's legal, so it's probably okay, right? Like those things all have to be filtered through the lens of Scripture, not just by what you want to do. And so I hope that we start then to desire, hey, I better start to read this thing. And we've been challenged to read 1 John. And if you've been keeping up with your reading 1 John once, once a week all this time, then you probably have 1 John nearly memorized, right? You're like, I, I'll be honest, I'm ready to be out of 1 John because I'm trying to read it every week. You know, I'm like, I have seen this before. I've watched this movie. I'm done. And so we just have a few more weeks of it. But, uh, um, but it's important to be in our words. So that's our take-home point if you wanted to write them. Start getting in your word to figure out this filter. So we can figure out what's true and not. So we're going to pray together and then we're going to spend a couple of minutes worshiping and proclaiming the wonders of God together in our final worship song. So let me pray for us. Father, I know this is a really teaching-ish day today. I'm sort of, I don't know, not dynamic, go out and do this kind of thing. But, but I think it's critical, God, that we start to figure out what's true and what's right and what's false in our life because We want to stake our life on what's true. We want to follow the things that are true. We want to invest our time and our energy in the truth, not in things that ultimately are from the world. We don't want to be tricked by the the, the 90% true, 10% false of the Antichrist or the teachings that are against Christ. But we want to follow you true and rightly and well. We want to stake our eternity on something that's true, not just something that is maybe vaguely hoped for. And so, God, I just pray for each of us that we would start to have a heart and a mind that cares about you more than we care about our own things. Thank you, God, for the minds that are here. Thank you, God, for men and women who love you, that there's all sorts of people on our right or left that we can come to for advice, for right spiritual teaching. Thank you, God, for your word that's living and active, able to discern 
between good and bad, left and right, able to cut bone and marrow. Your word is powerful. And so we want to place it again as an important piece of our life.